Poopery, the original before you go toilet spray that has over 100,000 five star reviews. It's always formulated with essential oils and plant based ingredients that eliminate bathroom odor before it even begins. Essential for our home. So many shared toilets with all the smells, plus, it's female founded and a Texas based company. You know, we love that. Yeah. <laughs> plus, if you have any upcoming travel, Poopery 2 ounce and the travel side 10 millimeters are TSA friendly. The brand Puri also has many additional odor elimination products for your homes, pet, shoes, and more. Visit www.puri.com. 20% off your first purchase. Just use code Bathroom Chronicles 20. Welcome, Belden Colm. Thank you, Kimberly. <laughs> Welcome. Happy you're here. Yeah. Happy to meet you, Peggy. Yeah, same. Yeah. So it was really important to me to actually have Belden on because... In a nutshell, he's a health scientist that has healed himself from heart disease and has a company called Nutritional Fitness, which I've been working with for a bit here, and it's been game-changing for me. Mm -hmm. So y'all know, probably, if you've been following me for a while, that health, wellness, food, consciousness is incredibly important to me. But what you did was you really created a structure for me. I have so many things going on in life that I needed to just have a structure that intuitively felt well. And and you gave that to me and helped me through some of the emotional things and bring awareness to some of my emotional things around food. As a result, I, and my number one reason going to you was for energy. I was dragging. And... As a result, I stopped needing naps in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. I have energy and it <laughs> feels amazing. Side effect of that has been weight loss, which I'm sure any mom that has birthed six kids would be just fine with. It wasn't at the forefront of my decision making, but that has also been nice is mm -hmm. to, you know, have to repurchase clothes as, as my hips are moving back together. Um, but my biggest thing is I have six kids and I need energy for that. And so I first want to say thank you. And second, thank you for coming to the podcast because this is something that so many people need to know more about. Welcome. And thank you for letting me meet your six kids because yes. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And yeah. five dogs. And yeah. You I haven't get met it. the bearded dragon yet. Uh oh. Ah. <laughs> so, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about your story and how you arrived? to this point in your life? Yeah, everything a person does these days has a food element to it. I've learned this retrospectively and my situation was no different. I worked in construction for the beginning of my adult life and loved it. And there's things that go along with that. The taco truck, that's where all mm -hmm. the contracts are written. That's where you work things out. That's where you get people doing work, find out what warranty needs to be done. But that is the culture. I was in a life where I ate fast food on the way to work, ate at the taco truck at lunch, grabbed something fast on the way home, ate junk when I got there. And 22 years later, I had heart disease. Big surprise. Mm. And that was an awakening for me. I had heart disease. It came on suddenly. I had a clean bill of health. A few weeks later, I'm in the hospital with a serious cardiac incident. And it was my first of three. After the first one, I was very, very, very diligent about everything the doctor told me to do. I was 39 years old. I was not old enough to be having this happen. Oh my gosh. So super diligent, super dedicated. 
to the point where it makes me angry when I hear people say the reason we have a problem in America is people aren't committed. They're not dedicated. Bullshit. They are. We just don't know what to do. And I didn't know what to do. Mm. So I was given a, a medical regimen. I had 21 medications at one point, three curiously for heart disease, 18 to counter the side effects of the three. That's how powerful these drugs are. Wow. After my second heart attack, Mm. I was told that I now had heart disease. I was going to die from it. It was a degenerative disease. Try not to have a third heart attack because people don't live through those. They very often don't live through the second How many one. years between the first and the second? It was two years total for all three. Oh, my God. They all happened when I was 39 and 40. Mm-hmm. So after the second one, I remember being in, a, in a, just a spot, a pit, if you will, on my couch. I was in my bathrobe. I remember it very clearly. Had a mug of coffee in my hand, and I'm just sitting there going, what do I do? What do okay. I do? This can't be it, right? So in that moment, I, I had inspiration. It probably came from the fact that the engineer in me was coming out. But I had this overpowering thought that if I could figure out how this worked, if I could figure out how my body worked, maybe there was a way I could work with it. Because what was happening wasn't working, and I was being told it wasn't going to work, right? So I, I got diligent about that. And I'm going to say something about education because I have people ask me, how did you learn all this stuff in a year? And I've come to realize that education only partly comes from listening to professors and reading books. Mm-hmm. Education comes from going down rabbit holes. The, mm. the deeper, the better. And the more you want the answer at the end, the more you're going to go down that rabbit hole and you're going to learn what it takes to get there. And that's where I was because I wanted to live. Mm. So I started going down the rabbit holes to figure out how it worked. And it didn't take very long to learn a few basic things we should learn in school, but don't. And when I learned those few basic things, I was able to make some really profound changes. Making Mm. those profound changes helped me to be over heart disease about two years from the time that I was diagnosed. Wow. I'm never going to forget when my doctor took me off the last medication, the last one. And he said, I don't want to take you off of this because I don't trust what you did. And I'm like, all right, different tack here. If I came into you today, first time you ever saw me, is there anything in me that would make you give me this medication? And he said, no, honestly, there's not. I said, awesome. I'm done with it. Great question. Yeah. That was 17 years ago. Not a trace of heart disease to this day. I was pre-diabetic at the time. That's gone. I lost 105 pounds in about seven months. Everything in my life started to turn around. Energy, when you talk about energy, with heart disease, you have zero. I remember sitting in a lawn chair looking at my kids, and I wanted with all of my heart and soul to play with them. Mm. Honest to God, though, I did not have the energy to want to get out of the chair to do Mm. it. Mm. Wow. That's where my energy was. Mm. And today at 58 years old, compared to 39, I'm on top of the world. I'm running circles around my grandkids, apologizing Mm. to my kids that I didn't have it for them, but at least I got it for the grandkids, (laughs) right? And that changed everything. That became, it became something necessary for me to do. It became, there's a word for this, but I just simply had to change what I do for work Mm -hmm. and help people learn. Wow. That's a motivator. Mm. (laughs) Death is a motivator. That's like, wow. That's mm-hmm. really scary stuff. And the fact, yeah. I'm so I'm curious, um, where did, how, so after you came out of this, you had to change everything, right? You, did you, you change your career? Did you stay in the same construction or did you, did it, so, was it a slow shift? What? 
Yeah. Where did you go? It's interesting when you say you have to change everything because it evokes lifestyle change, right? Yeah. And no, I didn't change very much. I did change my career because I felt like I had to. Building homes is great. It helps people. I love helping people. But I now knew something that people needed to have. And so to change a career, it, it was, I had to. But when it came to the rest of my life, I haven't changed very much. And the lifestyle change moniker is something that I think we need to let go of because mm. it's so big. It's so massive. Kim, you have to change your lifestyle if you want to get your health back. And you're like, what the? <laughs> I have six kids, five dogs, somewhere a bearded dragon. How do I do that? Right? And it's, it's too big. Mm-hmm. And we need to let go of that. All we need to do is understand a few things so that we make decisions better. And we make decisions better, we do better for ourselves. And that makes our lifestyle bigger, louder, bolder. Mm-hmm. Whoever you are, be who you are. Right. You don't have to go from a desk jockey to a gym rat. You don't have to go from carnivore to vegan. You don't have to do any of these big things. You just have to know better so that you do better. Well, my whole body just like exhaled. (laughs) I know that's what, that's that's a relief. That's what he does. It's, um, it's interesting. I met Belden. Thank you for sharing your personal story. First of all, it's just one of those beautiful times where somebody takes something that may be perceived as something very difficult and Mm -hmm. turns it into their greatest blessing Mm -hmm. for so many of us. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I first learned about Belden and, um, from a friend that I was in a retreat with and she's in her fifties and she said, listen, Kimberly, I, just I'm doing this program. It's been a couple months and I feel more energetic than I did in my twenties. And this is a healthy woman. She's a very healthy, what we would perceive to be healthy. She's fit, athletic. Um, she doesn't eat from a food truck or, Mm -mm. you know, fast Mm -hmm. food restaurant at all ever. And, um, you know, it completely changed the game for her. And then she had talked about a friend of ours that had done it, who is also for his career athletic. And he had somehow dropped 35 pounds during the time and just felt enormously better and more magnetic and energized. And then the thing that really did it for me was she said, also, I have been working on this Tony Robbins program and there was this thing that I thought I had purged from my body, but through shifting my food, I have realized that I had more to purge from my cells and now I'm clear it's gone. Mm. And one of the things that I learned with Belden, working with Belden, is how emotional our food has become. It's been this emotional handicap. So all of that being said, um, I started watching your videos and there is really information there that once you hear it, you cannot unhear it. And I think that's where uh, the motivation is birthed from the inside mm-hmm. and comes out. Can you share some of this information? Yeah. Where shall we start? <laughs> uh, you would know best. <laughs> I, I have a personal favorite Let's that I think it. is incredibly important is uh, how, what you share, how you break it down, because you do it so beautifully and simply with preservatives and emulsifiers and things. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, we actually, in, in the chemistry of the body, and chemistry is simple. We think it's difficult, organic chemistry. There's a whole branch of engineering that was created for people who fail organic chemistry. Mm. One of our favorite jokes in college. But that's why civil engineers are here. There was no such thing until people failed organic chemistry. But the cool <laughs> thing with chemistry is it all comes down to three simple things. Right. If you want to get a reaction out of the beaker, you have to put the right ingredients in to get that reaction. You have to keep the wrong ingredients out because they pollute the reaction. And you have mm-hmm. to get the right balance of things for the reaction to be energetic. Now, if I ask you guys, everything going on in here is a series of chemical reactions and responses. Is that true? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And we all know that. Inherently, we all know that. And if we think that way, we make decisions a lot better. We call the things that should stay out of your body PECs, preservatives, enhancers, and conditioners, PECs. Preservatives are one of the most atrocious. They're in absolutely everything, and it only takes a little bit of logic, not even a chemistry degree, to understand why they're so harmful. Spoilage on a shelf happens from the action of bacteria, right? So we create all of these preservatives to stop the action of bacteria so that food will last almost forever. The problem is digestion is also the action of bacteria. And our food is filled with things designed to stop the action of bacteria. So we actually hinder digestion, the action of bacteria to digest our food and process it by eating food laden with preservatives. Mm. When we stop that, it doesn't matter if you eat the best food on earth. The body can't digest it and assimilate it. You can eat salads all day long. You can eat the best of the best. Fill your body full of preservatives and you can't do anything with it. So it's one of the first things that need to get out of the food supply. and We need to completely just abandon so that we can eat food. We can process that food. Mm. We can use the food. That food can benefit our body. Makes sense. Yeah. That one was game changing because just pulling out all the processed sauces and mayos or vegan or otherwise was game changing Mm. and you start feeling differently basically anything in a package or in a jar is going to have not across the board but it's very very hard and getting harder to Mm. find food that is healthful Mm. that comes packaged or processed yeah yeah well i have some questions can we integrate some questions that um our instagram audience absolutely Because I feel like this could take, we could spend all day on these questions. Um, One person wanted to know your best recommendation for diabetes. This is actually one of my favorites. Do you realize that half of America is thought to be uh, diabetic, some form of diabetes by 2025? Half of America will have some form of diabetes. Oh, wow. Type 1, type 2, or prediabetes. Half. Wow. Wow. That's phenomenal. And so we've taken a special interest to this because diabetes isn't hard to undo. Mm. We just need to understand it. And the problem is we're attacking diabetes as though it's a blood sugar disease. We, we define diabetes by the level of your blood sugar. We treat diabetes by how food affects your blood sugar. But blood sugar is the lag indicator, they would say in business. The lead indicator is the thing that's causing the problem. Lag indicator is what happens because the problem is caused. Blood sugar goes sideways because insulin has already broken down. And the thing is, it's not hard to understand. We've known for years what happens 
We just need to put it together into a treatment program. So imagine for a moment that you put something on your tongue and your tongue tastes sweet, right? We have all these taste buds in there and Mm -hmm. those are there just to give us pleasure, right? Newsflash, nothing in the body is there just to give us pleasure. Not even that, nothing is there just to give pleasure. Everything has a purpose for being there. We taste food, the taste of that food gets everything in our digestive system ready for Mm. what's coming Mm. while it's still in our mouth and we're chewing. Mm. We put sugar on our tongue. The body is already releasing insulin into our body to handle that sugar when it comes in. Mm. Now imagine that that isn't sugar. Imagine that that's an artificial sweetener or it's a diet something or other, or it's erythritol, or it's something that's not Mm -hmm. going to give the sugar to match the insulin. Now we have an insulin bump. Mm. The liver now has Mm. to create glucose in the body. And bear in mind, these are very small margins. Your body only has four ounces of glucose, or four grams, excuse me. Big difference there. Four Mm. four grams of glucose in your entire bloodstream at any point in time. Mm. So if you get an insulin bump, that four grams goes away really, really fast. So the the liver is now working overtime, creating glucose to get that balance back. And it does it so fast that it overproduces. Now we have to do this with insulin and we do this little back and forth ripple effect until everything levels out and we got it. And then what do we do? We go and we have another one. (laughs) And we do this again and we do this again and we do this again. This is actually called the cephalic insulin response. It's something that we've known about for years. Sweet on the tongue makes insulin bump. Mm. There's another body process we call interoception. I promise I'm not going to use a whole lot of words, but these are important ones. Interoception is the body's conversation with the brain. When something happens in the body, the brain senses it. We don't sense it out loud, I like to say. We don't Mm. sense it in a tangible way, like we would a prick on the finger. We don't have those nerve endings inside. But the brain is constantly monitoring what's happening in the body. The heart doesn't make itself beat. The brain does. The brain's boom, boom, boom. When something goes wrong in the body, that sense goes to the brain. The brain interprets it and sends a regulatory signal back to the body and tells it what to do. Now, here we have a situation where we're creating an insulin response incorrectly time after time after time after time after time and that signals going to the brain who's trying to interpret why the anticipated reaction didn't happen Mm. and eventually the brain begins to change the reaction sweet doesn't mean to produce insulin every time we do that it's wrong Mm. let's stop doing that and we call that insulin resistance Mm. and that's what we're treating But what we should be treating is the fact that we're tricking our body. We're trying to hack our body. And we've been trying to hack our body since the late 70s, early 80s, when the very first nutrition program came into America. We've been trying to hack our body. Hey, everybody eat low fat. You won't get fat if you eat low fat, right? Everybody stop eating sugar. You won't get elevated blood sugar if you don't eat sugar. We've been trying to hack our body. Our body's been trying to respond in the best way it can by trying to adjust how it operates. So now we have a diabetes pandemic that's not caused by overeating sugar. It's caused by overeating artificial sweeteners. And the flip side of this is when we eat things that are heavily laden with flour because the way we process wheat today, I wanna be clear, I don't believe wheat is the problem. 
the way we process wheat is the problem. Mm. But we make something that so quickly turns into sugar in the body, mm. but there's no taste of sweet on the tongue. So I just wanted to ask you in terms of um, processing, were you talking about the way in which the food is made? Or are you talking about internal, uh, our processing as we eat it? No, the way food is made. Okay. We take wheat, which is a perfectly good product. Mm -hmm. We take wheat, we strip all the bran off the outside. We strip all the germ out of the inside. We strip the bran off the outside because it affects how wheat operates when we bake with it. Mm. We take all the germ out of the inside because we want it to last on the shelf forever. And wheat mm. germ will not last very long. If you just mill wheat like we used to in the old days, you have to refrigerate it or just mill only what you need. So we take everything that has any healthful value off of it. Hmm. And what's left is the endosperm. And endosperm is gooey. It doesn't mill. And because it doesn't mill, we have to find a way to make it into flour. So we bleach it. 15 times. We don't bleach flour to make it white. We bleach flour to make it brittle. And once it's brittle, we'll pummel it. And when we pummel it, it's the consistency of talcum powder. If you put water on it, it's going to turn into glue. So we put in dough conditioners to make it so that it has something that we can work with. And then we fortify it with all this stuff that's not there for your and my health. It's there so that when we bake with flour, we can put bread dough into a machine and a loaf of bread looks exactly the same as the one before it, the one after it, the one next mm -hmm. week. And we have so much uniformity in baking now that you can get sandwich containers shaped to the loaf of bread that you buy. Mm -hmm. And your sandwich is going to fit in it every single time. And we do all of this with machines. We don't even need a baker anymore. Mm -hmm. So we've created flour to facilitate this process. The net effect has been something that's absolutely nutrient deficit. And it's, it's an obesity food. There's nothing that this stuff can do but take our health away. Wow. Wow. So when we eat the bread, what's our body's response to that? There's nothing useful in it. Yeah. All the body can do mm -hmm. is pack it away mm -hmm. or get bad signals from it. The problem with the way we process bread, as we were mentioning, is it turns into sugar so quickly. Mm -hmm. that we now need an insulin response that we didn't have. So we wind up with the same up mm -hmm. and down ripple effect, mm -hmm. but coming in from the other side. Mm -hmm. Now, what is available in the store that doesn't have some form of artificial sugar, artificial sweetener, or flour? My body's processing all of this. I'm like, <laughs> I, <laughs> it's like yeah. I'm just having this exhaustion response as you're talking to all these things because I feel so much I just feel deeply what you're saying and my body's responding to it like it's like wow I feel like I just ate a big meal with a loaf of bread and I want to go to sleep mm. I am I wonder why that happens I wonder why <laughs> right I wonder why that happens yeah mm -hmm. yeah it's really fascinating yeah because yeah, I'm over here going what is going on? I'm like, really, my body's listening to what you're saying and it's interpreting all that stuff. And I haven't eaten bread in I don't know how long, but because I was a carnivore for a while. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, it's fascinating. I didn't mean to interrupt, but I was like over here fighting these yawns and I'm like, okay, wow. I need to tell you what's going on for me because I'm so empathic. And as you say things, my body always just starts to go where people talk. And so it's just responding to what you're saying. So I'm physically feeling the exhaustion and the tiredness of mm. having of eating like that. 
It certainly yeah. can we needs. change the subject? No. Yeah, <laughs> let's right, bring let's in get, the remedies, let's please, get quickly. Give me some energy because I'm over here. I'm falling asleep. <laughs> well, I will say there are a few things that you can get at the grocery store, mm-hmm. and um, for example, a little stroll down the produce aisle <laughs> has lots of great stuff in there. Um, you got me eating so many snap peas. <laughs> oh, you know. Oh, and those are like candy. Tons. They are the those best. Are, so good. are they not? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tons. Of, I'm eating a, a really large amount of dark leafy greens. Mm. This whole idea that people are shaming the dark leafy green eaters, there's a whole movement of it. I just want to say I'm eating the dark leafy greens and what? I feel phenomenal. Okay, maybe we don't want to go there. What's wrong with dark, dark leafy greens? Nothing's, Nothing, right? Nothing. Nothing is wrong with dark leafy greens. Okay. They are so healing. I take and my body takes them in. I talk to the plants in my garden now and they just feel so deeply nourishing to me and my okay. body right now. Mm-hmm. So for me, I say for my body, it's a full-blown yes. Dark leafy greens. Your garden listens to you too. Yeah. Oh my gosh, those vegetables taste good. I know yeah. they're so beautiful. I talk to them. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of cilantro, dark leafy greens, lots of apples and strawberries. Um, so much yumminess. I'm having a lot of steamed cauliflower right now. I will say I most notably, and this has been the biggest difference for me when I have a, a moment where I'm unprepared and I have to go to something that had oil in it. I'm not using oil and that feels game changing. Absolutely game changing. Can you talk about why you say no oil? The response of a lot of people is, well, the Mediterranean diet, um, there's so much oil in it. And somehow that was marketed to be at the forefront of the Mediterranean diet, which has so much fish and produce and vegetables and all these incredible things. So please talk about your feelings on oil. Human beings are so funny because whatever we want, we're going to try and find an excuse to have it. <laughs> right? And oil is, is one of those big ones. The problem with oil isn't that oil is bad. It's not. It's that when we eat plant oils, we don't have the enzymes in the body to process them. When we eat oil from animals, we do. Because guess what? We're an animal. Mm-hmm. We've got that. But when we eat plant oils, we need to eat them in the context of the plant. So you can have sunflower seeds all day long. Mm. But if you have sunflower oil, you wind up putting something in your body that your body can't process. And if it can't process it, it's just going to hang around in your intestine. And what does oil do? Slicks Mm -hmm. everything up, makes it so that it's Mm non-porous and just is generally harmful. The Mediterranean diet is looked at for a reason. The average age in the Mediterranean area today is 83 years. In the U.S., it's 78. In historical um, accounts, the Mediterranean peoples have always had a longer lifespan. Two of the five blue zones. You guys are familiar with blue zones? Yeah, my friend did that. Awesome. (laughs) Two of five of the blue zones are in the Mediterranean area. Yeah. So people are very interested in what keeps these people alive. And it must be olive oil, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nothing else that they eat. It's not the balanced diet. It's not the the combination of vegetables, fruits, and, and meat. No, it's got to be the olive oil. But the thing is, olive oil hasn't always been an egregious product. Mm-hmm. It used to be that olive oil is made by crushing olives. And the oil that you got out was a really, really dark color. It was cloudy. You couldn't see through it. There were chunks of olive floating around in it, which means guess what? 
all the enzymes that you needed to process the oil were in it. We don't make olive oil that way anymore. Mm-hmm. Now we filter it, we refine it, we make it to where it's crystal clear. We want it to be a very specific color. In fact, it's going to be graded on that color. Mm. And it's not going to get the designations that we want unless it has all of these ticks that it checks off. Mm. So what we wind up with is now an oil like any other plant oil mm. that's completely separated from the enzymes that allow us to process it. So is olive oil bad? No, it's amazing when it's in an olive. <laughs> it's amazing if you can find it the way it used to be made. Yeah. But we just don't make it that way anymore. So we have to put it in the category of this isn't going to serve my body anymore. Hmm. Yeah. That's been a big one for me. It's literally the moment I have something with oil, I feel it. Oh, do I you? feel it in my body and my body just wants to like, just get rid of it now. One thing that I would love for you to clarify is metabolism. Ah, the fat-burning furnace. <laughs> yes, that one. We all want to fire up the fat-burning furnace. So this was one of the first two things I learned when I started learning how to fix me. Mm-hmm. And I don't even say fix me anymore. That's where my mind was at the time. What I realized was that the body fixes itself. It's amazingly, marvelously designed to do that. All we have to do is give it what it needs to do the job, right? But when I was still in that, how do I fix me mode of thinking? The first thing that I learned was energy. And I hope we can talk about that before we go. But the second thing I learned was metabolism, Mm. this fat burning furnace. And I always wondered how this worked. I mean, literally, I always wondered because I didn't like being 105 pounds overweight. I tried Mm -hmm. to lose weight just like everybody does. Mm -hmm. I dieted. I did the stuff. What I learned, though, is that metabolism is only two things and neither of them have to do with burning anything. Metabolism has two sides. One side is catabolism. It takes things apart. The other side is anabolism. It puts things together. And you may have heard of a catabolic state or an anabolic state when Mm -hmm. you hear people talk about medicine. But a catabolic state is where your metabolism is taking things apart that the body doesn't need anymore, getting rid of them. Old worn out tissues, worn out pieces of the immune system, you name it. Anabolism is when the body is in that healing state where it's putting those Mm -hmm. tissues back together. Or in a smaller window, catabolism takes apart your food, doesn't burn it. Anabolism puts it back together into the cells Mm. of your body. And your food literally becomes you through these two processes of catabolism and anabolism. And for people that, that want to question things, I encourage you to be skeptical about anything that we say in this conversation. Mm -hmm. But when you go and look it up, don't look up metabolism. You're going to get 80 billion hits on marketing trying Mm. to sell you stuff. Look up catabolism and anabolism and you'll learn so much Mm. about the beauty of how all of this works. And and, and even the calorie. Like we have been marketed what a calorie is when it's really Mm. just a unit of measurement. Of heat. Of heat. Mm -hmm. A calorie is not a thing that exists inside of a food. Mm -hmm. I always thought it was an energy. Well, see, here's some fun stuff, and we're told it's energy, mm-hmm. and you store that extra energy as fat. Mm-hmm. Now, when you study science very long, you learn about something called the law of conservation of energy. Energy cannot be stored as matter. Can't. Energy in a battery is stored as energy. You've got a positive mm-hmm. charge and a negative charge, and you've got this. It's not stored as stuff. And we say we store energy in the body as body fat. 
It's simply not possible to store energy as matter. Mm. Science doesn't work that way. And you, you get all these things that are, that are half science thrown at you. This is all about the laws of thermodynamics. Well, yeah, great. That only works in a confined environment. It doesn't work in something that consumes and excretes, right? None of them work. But the thing about the calorie is, when, can I tell how it was, where it came from? Because Yes, sure. This is the truth to stranger than fiction story. It really, really is. Calories came into the world of food in 1865. In 1865, we had a brand new government department called the U.S. Department of Agriculture. And they had a job they wanted done. So they hired a German chemist. His name was Olin Atwater. And they said, dude, we got this job for you. You know what the job was? (laughs) What? How do you feed people in the cheapest way possible while extracting the maximum amount of energy from them? God bless governments. How do you feed people cheaply and get the most work out of them? How do we do that? Now, Atwater took on the project, but the problem is the science didn't exist in 1865 Mm -hmm. to answer the question. We didn't know how energy worked in the body in 1865. Mm -hmm. So Atwater was given an impossible task by an emerging national power international power. What are you going to do when you're this dude in the United States of America gives you this job that can't be answered? So Atwater started looking at other sciences to see if somebody else had already invented the wheel. Mm -hmm. Who else is working with energy in, energy out? Who else is trying to figure out how to feed something and get work out of it? And he turned to the railroad who had been working this question since 1925 or 1825 with steam engines. The railroad was working on how do we burn something? What is the cheapest fuel to burn that will heat up water and turn it into steam to run our locomotives? And they'd invented a really ingenious device to answer this question scientifically. This device had an inner ball, they called it a bomb, that was designed as a a burning chamber. You could get oxygen into it. It had a little electrode in it to ignite whatever fuel they put in it. And then they put that little ball inside of a bigger ball that was filled with water. And this had a thermometer sticking out of it. And they would burn fuel in the inner bomb hmm. and measure the temperature rise of the water on the outside. Now, this made perfect sense for the railroad. What fuel can we burn to heat water? Because mm-hmm. this is what the railroad wanted to do to create steam for the, for the train. Now, curiously, this little device was called a bomb calorimeter. And the unit of measurement was called a calorie how many degrees would you raise the temperature of a milliliter of water when you burn one gram of a fuel? One degree was a calorie. And that's the definition of calorie to this day. Hmm. It's the amount of heat it takes to raise the temperature of one milliliter of water, one degree Celsius. And so Atwater borrowed this device because every human being has this furnace inside. This is the language we use though, right? The Hmm. fat burning furnace. Every human being has this furnace inside that's burning fuel into energy and heating water so that we can run. So he started burning food in the bomb calorimeter. And he burned food and burned food and burned food and just started collecting data. And there to this day in the USDA are volumes and volumes and volumes and volumes and volumes of data. But then he had a problem. How do you burn a peach? How do you burn soup? How do you burn wet food? So... At the time, there was a rudimentary form of a freeze dryer. It's not the same thing we use today, but it got the job done. So Atwater began freeze drying food because, of course, you have one of those in your body, too. He would freeze dry food and then burn it 
and then get the data out of it. So the more data he got, the more he started to realize that there's a pattern to food. Foods that were almost entirely fat burned at nine calories per gram, would raise the water nine degrees. Foods that were almost entirely sugars or carbohydrates would raise the temperature of that water four degrees, and foods that were meat-based proteins would raise the temperature of the water four degrees. So carbohydrates, four calories, proteins, four calories, fats, nine calories, and he called these the at-water factors. And all the volume of work he did that he delivered to the USDA was calories and at-water factors. Mm. This is how you determine how to food people or feed people cheaply and get lots of work. This, by the way, is why we use corn so much. Because corn is the fuel of choice when you put it through these criteria. Wow. Now, some people are going to say, but you get more fat or more calories from fat. Yes, you do. But fat is also more expensive to produce. Corn is cheap. So cheapest fuel for the maximum amount of work. And this would work if you're running steam trains. Mm-hmm. You really, really would. The problem is 1927, many years after Atwater, we developed a device called an electron lens. Two years later, it was turned into an electron microscope, and for the first time, we could see into a human cell. And when we could see into a human cell, we discovered right away this molecule called ATP, adenosine triphosphate. We had no idea what it was or how it worked, Mm -hmm. but what we observed was that it blew up and then almost immediately was back together. And it blew up and was back, and it Mm. blew up and was back, and it was curiosity. Clearly, this is something important in a cell. And it took from then until 1997 to understand how this molecule works. And in 1997, the Nobel Prize for Chemistry was given to the three scientists who finally figured out the whole cycle of how ATP gives us energy and then gets put back together in the mitochondria of the cell. And for the first time, we understood it. And guess what? All it needs is oxygen and glucose. It doesn't Mm. use any of our food, none of it. It needs oxygen and glucose. That's all it needs. And it needs very little glucose. Mm. And we understand this. We've understood this now for 30 years. But what are we still arguing? We're still arguing calories and macros. What are macros? At water factors under a different name. Calories, fats, and proteins, 449. So we're still arguing based on science from 1865, even though we now know how energy really works in the body. And this is the coolest thing because energy only needs oxygen and glucose. You're breathing, right? We're all breathing. Yeah. So we have that covered. Yeah. And I promise you, we all have plenty of glucose in the body right now, just sitting here. Yeah. So I have a question. So when you uh, work with somebody, Mm -hmm. do is, is it one size fits all? Is it individualized? Like when you worked with Kim, is that something that you recommend to everybody or how do you, I'm just curious, how do you Mm -hmm. arrive at how you support people? Is it, if you want to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, we can definitely talk about it. Bear in mind, though, that we're jumping over a lot of stuff to an end game. So there's a lot of things that go into the understanding of this. But to make a, a story simple, let's take it out of people. And let's look at it in terms of other animals, even plants. Mm. If we look at any other animal in the world, we recognize that there's a lion diet. A lion diet? A, a lion diet. Lions have a way that they eat. And it doesn't matter if that lion is in Africa or Asia, it's going to eat the same way. The animals it eats might be different 
because of what's available, but the nutritional profile of the animal it eats are going to be very, very similar. And every animal is, every lion, excuse me, is a carnivore. Every one. Elephants in Africa or Asia, every one of them is an herbivore. Mm -hmm. And every one of them eats very, very similarly in terms of nutrient profile. So does every weasel, every rat, every snake, every dog, every cat. Every animal has a diet and we recognize that. When we pull it into people though, we think that we're special <laughs> and we're all different. I saw and, that coming. Right? Yep. <laughs> but the thing is, we are another organism that lives yeah. on this planet. Even in your garden. That makes so much sense. You want to give certain plants certain types of food and certain types of soil because that's the nutrients that they need. And people are exactly the same. There mm -hmm. is a human diet that we are biologically predisposed to eat. Mm -hmm. And the closer we hang to that, the better our progress is going to be, the more health we're going to enjoy, the, the more longevity, the greater energy. And the farther we stray from that, mm -hmm. we do have a unique body in that it's able to survive almost anything. And our body will do the best it can with whatever we give it, no matter how crappy it is. Yeah. Right? And it will keep us alive, not thriving. Right? Mm -hmm. So we can stray from it. But we're just not going to to thrive as well. Thrive as well, yeah. Because I'm, you know, I'm, because there's so many theories out there, right? Like mm -hmm. when you, um, I remember the first time I ever heard Deepak Chopra speak, right? And he would talk about talk about food, mm -hmm. and he would say, you know, your consciousness can turn that into honey, you know, nectar, or can turn it into poison. Mm -hmm. And so he was more about the consciousness of which you're eating. So, and how that then affects in the body. So I'm curious, you're, you're speaking from a very scientific mm -hmm. standpoint. So how do you, what do you have to say about that sort of, does that play a role? Does it not play a role? Like, I'm curious to your opinion and your experience of that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a huge believer in magic. I really, really am, always have been. I also am a huge believer that magic is science that we don't understand yet. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. As we begin to learn more in science, suddenly the eclipse isn't magic. I can't stop an entire tribe of people from killing me with that anymore. I need to find some new magic. Mm -hmm. but, but science and magic are the same thing. It's just our level of understanding. And when it comes to the chemistry of the body, remember, this is all chemistry. Mm -hmm. Food is one thing that adds chemistry to the body. Our state of emotions add chemistry to the body through the creation of hormones that then become part of the mix in our bloodstream. If we're stressed all the time, we become cortisol laden and that starts to create a, a negative deleterious effect in the body. If we're happy all the time, we get dopamine, we get all kinds of fun drugs that, that mm -hmm. course through our body that our own body makes and produces that changes the chemistry of the body. So to a certain effect, yes, we have to get the food right. We really, really do. But once we have the food right, the emotional context and what we're putting into it with our mind and our spirit are affecting that chemistry as well. So all of this comes into play. We need to be cognizant of the connections between all of these in the very scientific ways that we talked about earlier, mm -hmm. like the cephalic insulin response and interoception, these ways that the body, mind, and spirit communicate with each other to being cognizant of the changes that those make in our chemistry. Because in the flesh, chemistry is is what makes us or breaks us mm -hmm. in the spirit we have greater room to play and explore and do fun stuff but if we want the vessel to survive we have to get these things right so yeah there definitely is an emotional context to the chemistry though 
a lot of information. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is when you really take it in, you have to listen to it and then rewind it and then listen to it again. And it changes you internally. And all I can say is as a result, my energy is so different. I'm only really tired now when Jeremiah's had an all-nighter or I'm going through something that's really emotionally draining. And um, it's just been game-changing. I think a lot of people are going to wonder, is this meat-eating? Is this vegan or vegetarian? Um, I know that you work with all of the above, but what would your answer be for that? Yeah, when you look just solely at how the body is designed. And we just use that as our decision maker for now, okay? Because there is an emotional context. Let's be honest, I don't like the way commercial animal operations work either. And what's happening in the world of farming is atrocious. So as a moral layer, I have my own thoughts and I try to source as well as I can too. But if you just look at how the body is designed, Mm -hmm. if we go back to ATP and the energy, your body needs oxygen and glucose for virtually every cell in your body. The exceptions to that are your brain and your heart. Your brain and your heart use oxygen and ketones. Ketones mm. comes from the digestion of meat. And this is the reason the keto diet was created in the first place, was to help people with dementia problems or advanced neurological disorders. Works wonderfully. Now, we don't know why the brain defaults to ketones. We just know that if it has them available, it does better. Mm. We also don't know why the rest of the tissues default to glucose, but we know that without glucose, we'll have organ failure in 10 to 15 years. With glucose, everything works better. So glucose is the byproduct of digesting carbohydrates. Ketones is the byproduct of digesting animal products. We work better if we have both. We have the teeth for both. We have the digestive tract for both. Everything about our body is designed in a way that makes it an omnivore Um, vessel. And the closer we stay to that, the better we're going to survive. Now, again, does that mean we can't do it another way? Well, yeah, you can. The body's an amazingly adaptive thing. I had a conversation with this gentleman in the Philippines. You guys okay if I tell stories? (laughs) Go for it. Do it. I'm I'm like, you know, but I know a lot of this information now. So it, it, it does take a while to process because you take the way that we've been thinking for so long and you make little shifts and adjustments. And then, you know, if you're a rabbit hole person as well, like I am, you go and you investigate them. Yes. And then if you're also like I am, you try them out and you try them on for size. And how does this feel to my body, this information or, you know, how is this feeling now that I'm doing it? And that, that's, that's where the gold is, mm-hmm. is your self-exploration. So you take all this information, you let it spin your brain around a little bit, and then you feel into it. And for me, game changing, game changing, which is why you're here, you know, because it stirs a lot of emotion. It's like all those things that we loved having as a kid. Are you telling me that I cannot have that now? And you're not saying no, but if you really take in the information, you don't want that anymore. But there's a cool thing. And I've learned this the hard way. Yeah. We think that we have to, to vilify something. Mm. Mm -hmm. If you're a vegan, you're going to vilify meat. If you're carnivore, you're going to vilify vegetables 
if you are changing the way you eat, for some reason you have to vilify what was in the past. And you don't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You don't. When I was going fishing with my dad as a kid, my dad would take Vienna sausages, Doritos, cream cheese, cookies. I don't even know what they're called. <laughs> I mean, just every kind of thing that was horrible for a human body. And we'd take this stuff and we'd go fishing. And other parts of my life and other places, we had these foods that were associated with it. And mm-hmm. I remember all of that with fondness. None of it was vilified. I don't think, oh, wow, we went fishing and we had so much fun. If only I didn't eat all this shit. You know, I yeah. just, I don't think that way. These are beautiful times. It was beautiful food. It even tasted good. But I don't need to vilify it yeah. in order to do something different now. Mm-hmm. Right? Just like you don't have to vilify your ex just because you're separated and you get married again. You don't have to yeah. do that shit. Oh, God, that's such a right? big thing if you really take it in. Yeah. It is. Yeah. You can you can look at every day of your life and say that day was freaking amazing. Mm-hmm. Even yeah. though those things aren't in your life anymore. Mm-hmm. And food is no different than that. We can yeah. we can move into things without having to move out of and vilify what we left behind. And that's a super, super important thing to take through the journey of food because deprivation is the belief that you're never going to see this thing again. Yeah. And you're trying to call it bad and you're trying to call it evil. You know it's not. You remember it fondly. It's like my mom telling me, you know, don't smoke marijuana. It's not fun. And I'm like, bullshit <laughs> that shit's fun i've done that it's like you don't know what you're talking about i'm not going to listen to you anymore yeah. right <laughs> we begin to feel deprived and we want that thing yeah. more than anything mm-hmm. and then we can't stick to the new program if we just free our brain from that bullshit mm-hmm. that stuff's okay i don't have to vilify somebody else for eating it yeah i'm just making a decision to serve my body at a different level mm. and and move forward from that so super cool when you were talking about um the, the veganism versus versus um, meat and, and where do you find that balance? I had a conversation with a guy named Kevin in the Philippines at my partner's office there and amazing guy. He was a professor at UC Berkeley and as a professor, he did the same thing that I did in construction. He bloated himself all up, got very huge, had heart disease and mm. got himself into a bad way. He also set on a journey to heal his heart disease and mm. he did wow. by becoming a vegan. And when I met him, he was traveling throughout Asia, promoting the, the vegan lifestyle, especially to expats that lived in the area. But I sat with him and he said, Belden, I looked through all of your research. I read your book. I've, I've gone through your stuff. I see what you do with your people. There's no denying it. I just don't understand how you do it with meat in your diet. And I said, Kevin, if we took everything you eat and everything I eat and put it on transparencies. Everybody old enough to remember transparencies in school. Yes. <laughs> Some of you guys aren't going to know what a transparency yeah. is, but that's okay. But if you put it all on there and you lay them over and you look through it, I said, what do you think is exactly the same between what you eat and what I eat? And he had no hesitation. He said, dark leafy greens. I said, exactly. So how do you think we cured heart disease? Dark leafy greens. Now, if you look at the differences in that diet and this diet and you project ourselves forward until we're 90 years old and we're in the park where the old people play and i'm not talking about where the old people play chess i'm talking about where the old people play with their dogs mm-hmm. and run around on roller skates because they do that right i said what do you think will be the difference between you and me and he hesitated because he knew the answer immediately but he hesitated but he did say it he said i'm going to be frail and that's the thing 
When you're eating according to the way that your body is designed and you're giving your body what it needs to build what it wants to build for you, what's written into your DNA, you live strong. Yeah. When you deprive it of any category of food, I don't care what that category is. When you deny it of any category of food, notice I'm saying food, not garbage. Mm-hmm. We can, we can yes, deny yes, it garbage. Yes. But deny it carbs, deny it proteins, deny it this, that, the other thing. We're going to create a body that doesn't have the strength it's capable of. Mm-hmm. So if we're playing the long game, if we're thinking down the road, yeah. what kind of life do I want to live as an old person? We'll make different decisions. I do want to add that it's not the way that I'm eating right now. I've gone through a vegan period and I've gone through a period where I was eating meat one to four times a month, which really worked well for me, actually. Um, What I would like to say is your top recommendation of way to eat and just get started doesn't actually include a lot of meat. And I think that um, the portions of what I am eating are significant, but it includes very little meat. It's just so many dark leafy grains. And the different ways that I've become accustomed to enjoying them, it's just amazing. Now I have my taste buds are different. Mm -hmm. I actually crave I need my like lemon and my dark leafy green and it like mm. I need it now and it just <laughs> yum you know we just had like a fantastic cabbage soup you know so that was good that yeah was that was really good. good that was really good thank you yeah. Marissa yes anyway. so can you share like I mean I've seen the results on Kim she looks incredible you were always gorgeous but your skin is like next level glowing I have an energy behind yeah, my this, face it's the so energy yeah yes. when we say like everybody says you look amazing I know what they're talking about I feel like I looked amazing before I felt very feminine and in my mother mm-hmm. but I was like tired and yeah. there was so much tired behind the, uh, my eyes lightness. Yes. Yeah, and now I feel yeah. lighter and yeah. brighter, you know, and, and more energized. Yeah. So I'm curious if you can share, well, first of all, the name of your book. I'd love to know the name of the book. No one ever got fat from calories. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Now we understand why. <laughs> and coming out later this year will be Undo Type 2, about undoing type 2 diabetes. Oh, wow. Amazing. And then what would be like, just like your standard meal or a standard meal that, you know, you can recommend for people that what would be a, or is there no such thing? I mean, I don't know. So we lay it out a little differently. I actually resist. We have a recipe book in our programs now. And oh. I, res, I resisted that for years because recipes are crutches. If you learn to eat by recipes and you go out to eat at a restaurant, you have no idea what to order. Mm. If you travel to a foreign country, you have no idea what to eat. And mm-hmm. I want people to really understand because it's not hard. If you divide food into four categories, not the pyramid, not the four food groups. Thank you. (laughs) But if you divide food groups into four categories, every plant is a carb, all of them. Mm -hmm. We take one type of plant and we put it in its own jar and that's dark leafy greens. And we do that because 85% of all of the things that the chemistry of your body requires are found in those plants. Hmm. So name some of those plants for us. Spinach, arugula, kale, mustard greens, dandelion greens, turnip greens, any dark, any leaf. If it's green and it's a leaf. Okay, great. It goes into this jar. Super easy to identify. And then we have a second category of vegetables 
that are the fibrous vegetables. This is the stuff that when you chew them up, they leave strings in your mouth. Okay. Broccoli, snap peas, green beans, peas in the pod, not out of the pot. Anything that leaves the strings in your mouth when you eat it. These are your fibrous vegetables. These are also important to have every day because these are your gut health that you keep hearing about every day. Mm. This is the stuff that cleans you out. So we put those in their own jar just to make sure that we get dark leafy greens and fibrous vegetables every day. Every other plant goes into the carbohydrate jar because they're all carbohydrates. Now out of that jar, you can choose any one of them that you want just so long as you keep the amount that comes out of the jar correct. Mm. So the, the selection, wide open, but keep the amount right. And then we have the high quality proteins jar. These are proteins that contain all of the amino acids that the human body can't make itself. So we use 20 amino acids. We can make nine of them. We need 11. Mm. So we need high quality proteins that contain those 11. Most of those proteins are going to be animal proteins. There are a few uh, vegetable proteins that contain all of them in the right balance, but not a lot. Right. Mm. So we have these four jars. What you want is out of the dark leafy greens jar, take three cups raw twice a day or whatever that cooks down to. Oh, okay. So if you take three cups of spinach, it cooks down to what? A tablespoon or two. <laughs> if you get three. I typically do it raw. Yeah, I typically, <laughs> I typically do too because the flavor is amazing. But that's what you want out of that. You want one cup of the fibrous vegetables twice a day, and then you want to keep the carbohydrates and the proteins balanced. And there's a reason for this. Mm. Think of these like, like the, the base and treble control on your stereo. Keep them the same mm. as you up your protein, up your carbs. And the reason is in your body, these things need each other. Proteins meter how fast carbs get into your body. Carbohydrates are necessary to break down proteins. If we break down proteins without the presence of carbohydrates, we create toxicity in the blood and that leads to kidney damage. So these two things need each other and you can regulate your hunger. If you're hungry, up them both. Mm. If you're kind of full, bring them both back down. Just keep them balanced is the important part. It's that easy. You can literally go anywhere in the world. You made it sound really easy. <laughs> well, I used to do food combining, which is where you didn't mix your carbohydrates yeah. and your protein. I think we and all did that one. <laughs> I was hungry all the time. Like literally never satiated and didn't feel energetic. Personally, for me, that was a big no. And I was surprised when I heard to combine the two and also leapt for joy a little bit and just happy to say it's been effective. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Amazing. Well, I'll have to go try some of these things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's fun too, because you get more curious with your vegetables and more exploratory mm -hmm. and you just try new things and it's been fun. Yeah. And empowering. I kind of like the same thing. Those are thing all the wrong lunch. words for a health program. <laughs> it's supposed to be boring and you're supposed to be hungry and it's supposed to be impossible to do. Yeah. I have my thing now, though, after the exploration that I'm liking. And it's it's like a dark leafy green salad with chopped apple and steamed cauliflower or like chopped celery and just a little bit of chicken. Mm. I love it. It's mm -hmm. so good. And it's been, and the chicken, we, um, Abigail, God bless her because she is a vegetarian, um, makes it for me and just a lot of it at once. And she 
puts it in a water solution with herbs or something, and it mm -hmm. is so tender and so delicious. Is that what makes it so good? Yeah, that's what Whoa. makes it so yeah. good. Mm -hmm. I know. I, I'm like handed it over because I've been working, and I love cooking. I actually really miss cooking, but I'm not in the season in my life right now where I can stand in the kitchen and cook mm -hmm. because Jeremiah. Yeah. That's why, um, <laughs> you know, and I can, and I do, but it's, she's amazing. Oh my gosh. But it's game changing. It's yeah. just, you feel differently after a couple of days. And then the beautiful thing about working with you, cause there's understanding, okay, these are all the things that go in, but where you really come to play. And, and the beautiful thing about working with you is, you know, I was, feeling like maybe I needed to make some adjustments because I was nursing. And one phone call with you is you added a little bit of that and a little bit of that, and I was good to go. Um, I made a big impact, mm -hmm. just a few simple adjustments. So when you talk about these beakers and what you want out of this scientific um, reaction, it, it just tiny changes can make such significant impacts. Like you had me eat a little bit more fruit. And there was one time where I was lightheaded and you had the perfect antidote to that. And then adding on, please call me also if that happens. <laughs> but um, it's been amazing. And just the emotional part, like, hey, I'm feeling stuck or redefining what perfection is because, well, I've had a perfection tendency in my life, which is mm. like, you're either soaring or you're crashing and burning. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me what you shared about perfection? Yeah. The problem with perfection is we always let somebody else define it for us. Yeah. Mm. What is perfection? Well, perfection is doing this and this and that. Okay. But who told you to do that? Mm. And at the end of the day, perfection in this world of nutritional fitness always comes down to what's well, what you told me to do. Okay. So you're defining perfection by me. Don't do that. Perfection anywhere in life is doing the best you can with what you have where you are. Mm. And if you do that, any other ideal is nonsensical, right? It's just nonsensical. So where are we? We're in a place. That place has limitations. We're in a place in our life. That place in our life has limitations and requirements. What are we, uh, what do we have access to? What are we doing with it? And if we can say to ourselves, you know what, I have access to all of this amazing stuff. There's a beautiful garden right here. I never go out into it. And I, well, okay, maybe you're falling shy of what you should call your perfection, right? But when you're doing the best you can with what you have in the place and circumstances that you're in in your life, that is perfection. And people need to realize that because nobody is going to fire on all cylinders every day mm -hmm. going through a health journey. I don't fire on all cylinders every day going through a health journey. The last live event we did, we did an exercise around perfection. And I got people to say what it is that I do, <laughs> that they want to be their perfect. And I'm looking at what they're telling me and I'm like, oh shit, I don't do any of this. <laughs> <laughs> but it reminded me of, of something I heard once I don't know who said it, and it probably wasn't attributed mm -hmm. to the right person anyway, but it was an actor saying, you know what, you're looking at me after I've had hours of hair, hours of makeup. Mm -hmm. I get all of these, these chances to get it right. I still fuck it up. They cut it all up. They put these little pieces of it up on stage. And that's 
what you're comparing yourself to. Yeah. When, mm. you, when you get out of bed in the morning with mm. drool hanging out of your mouth, <laughs> right? And that's the thing. I don't live perfect by that standard. Yeah. But I do do the best I can with what I have, where I am, mm-hmm. both geographically and in my circumstances. And that's all a person should ask of themselves. Mm-hmm. It's not a matter of it's all that you can. You can ask any damn thing that you want, but it's all that you should ask because it's what you can deliver. Mm. Yeah. And I like I my brain just goes, speaking of comparing, I think if anybody's comparing to me, I will just say this. Um, I don't always have it together either. Surprise, surprise. Peggy already knows. All the way knows. <laughs> but what I will say is, you know, I grew up with a lot less prosperity. And so for me, my heart goes, how do we make this affordable for people mm. and easeful? And one of the things that I've discovered is the frozen food aisle. Mm-hmm. You can get organic produce even mm. for not that much. Actually, a huge bag of broccoli will call you cost you less than a McDonald's meal, mm-hmm. you know? So I just, I just want to share that and also make an encouraging shout out to all of you. I don't know how to put this. Just grow something. You know, if it's thyme or rosemary or mint in your windowsill, or if you can plant a fruit tree and put it in your sidewalk and water it, and yeah. I love the growing of fruit trees because what happens with the grow the fruit tree is in your process of nourishing the fruit tree with water, making sure that it gets sun, you're realizing that consistency is what's necessary for growth. And it helps you move into this mm. rhythm rhythm of consistency, which is really yeah. necessary for you know, the manifestation to occur, to occur and for energy to occur. And then at some stage, you're going to have fruit on this tree. And at some stage, you're going to have more fruit than your family can possibly eat on this tree. So then you go next door and you make a fruit offering to your neighbors and it pulls you out into community. And I just, there's something about the fruit tree to me that I feel like let's just all plant a fruit tree this year if we can, if you know, and, and, and share. That's such a, um, that really reminds me when I lived in Florida and the neighbors, um, fruit tree would hang on our side uh, and they would just like pick whatever you want. I mean, it was so heavy mm-hmm. and, and neighbors would have grapefruit trees or avocado trees or um, orange trees and mm-hmm. they would just all share. And it was just, it was such a, a nice way to build community, but to have like a variety of fruit, it was really wonderful. Well, we all had our own individual homes, but the trees kind of connected us all. And it was it was all these fruit trees. It was really a, a great way to live. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. could even have a lemon tree in yes. your house with a grow light in a pot, you know, and a garden and a garden. G-A-R-D-Y-N. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. A, a vertical hydroponic garden that you can get for your kitchen now. And in terms of food expense, it costs you a month's worth of groceries. But you plant up to 30 different kinds of vegetables in pods on these vertical pipes, and it keeps the grow light when it's supposed to be. It waters them the way they're supposed to be watered. Oh, dang. You just harvest it. That's, well, that's spell it again? G-A-R-D-Y-N, garden. 
That's well, epic. That's and awesome. I, there's something about watering plants that brings you into the rhythm of consistency. But if you do not have capacity. If you're, if you're not home, you can't do it. And so. you're not home, you can't do it. <laughs> traveler, you. traveler. Yes. Or your energy is such to where you literally just can't get out. I haven't have seen my house in three it. months. So Yeah. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Yeah. Not everybody has a garden, D-E-N, Kimberly. I get it. So, another thing, though, is learn what food looks like. Mm. One of the most nutritious vegetables on the planet is purslane. Mm-hmm. Purslane is grown within 50 feet of almost everybody's front door. It's a weed. Everybody's mm. trying to get rid of it. It grows in the cracks of the sidewalk. It's one of the most nourishing foods that you can have. What the heck? Okay, it we need a picture too. of that. Because Doesn't it have, have all? Spell it for us. P U R S L A N E. Personally. And doesn't Thank it you. have all the amino acids? It is a perfect protein. Yeah. In a leafy green. Wow. And a leafy green. Yeah. That's one it's of incredible. the few. Shout out to the vegans. Well, you got to be careful that it's not sprayed by <laughs> the neighborhood, whatever spray. On the sidewalk, you're only likely to get it sprayed by the dog, Done. but you can wash that we off. You still want to wash it, right? <laughs> oh, <laughs> God. Sorry. Gotcha. Gotcha. Come on. That's better than glyphosate. Can we take a minute? I I know we've already had you for a while here, but I would love to answer more questions that people have sent. Mm -hmm. Um, I live for this. What can someone do to dip their toe in these waters before going all in? It can be overwhelming. Can I do a shameless self-promotion for a moment? Sure. Because one of the best things that you can do is take my challenge. We do a one-week-long challenge where we help with getting the chemistry right on the first day, but we also go through getting the mental belief systems in alignment with how your body works. We do a lot of work on the emotional connection with food right in the challenge to help people start breaking those emotional connections immediately. And we have so many amazing comments on this. And how far people can come in a week to the point where they're starting to get their energy back already. They're already starting to see changes on the scale. Mm. And the thing that sucks about this week the most is it is absolutely free. And <laughs> we're gonna give and we're gonna give it to you. And we're gonna show you exactly how to do it. And if you wanna work with us to get implementation down, great. But if you don't, great. This mm. is something that we just do to give people that foot in the door so wow. that they start learning. It's called the Nutrition Made Simple Challenge, and it's nutritionmadesimplechallenge.com. We do them every six weeks. So Wow, well, thank you. On. I have mm-hmm. one of my family members doing the next one. Um, thank you. How do you release trauma from the body? So part of this, I'm going to leave to people whose zone of genius is trauma release, because (laughs) that's not my zone of genius. I will say I have worked with these people and the work is amazing. But one thing that also comes into play is what you put into your body, because we traumatize our bodies when we make our body sick. Mm. If you think about it for a moment, every time we put something into the body that doesn't serve us, it hurts us. If we don't put a great stud into the wall when we build our house, we put a less than great stud and it makes the house weak. Mm -hmm. When we do that, we create trauma. Remember, our body is talking to our mind. Our mind is talking to our body and trying to regulate it. So we create trauma. One of the greatest things that we can do to help aid in trauma release is to get the body right. A healthy cell cannot hold trauma memories. 
it's going to reach a point where the cell itself will try to make itself heal and will force you to do the right things Mm -hmm. and will lead you down the path to getting the trauma worked out. So getting the food right is part of the program. We can't do it if we don't think body, mind, and spirit all together. Yeah. That's very true because a lot of the people, when they go through shifting the food, a lot of trauma surfaces or even a craving surface surfaces mm-hmm. and that craving, it, it's like a scream response to keep the old pattern in, right? Like, hey, the, here's last vestiges. More often than not, that craving is the, the trauma speaking to you. It's, it's that time when... Mm-hmm. you're of the age you would remember this too and and i know i do i i lived through the period where moms went to work mm-hmm. and when i was very young i can remember mom being at home all the attention all the love all the stuff when i was nine ten mom had to go to work everything changed when mom went to work mm-hmm. and one of the things that changed was convenience foods we were coming home to an empty house and food was left out for us and that was mom's attention that we didn't have mm. anymore. So we have these things. I mean, that that's mine. Yeah. Yours yeah. might be something different, but we have these things that follow us through life where we've connected food to love, food to attention, because in that little kid's brain, that's the only thing we understood. I need a safe mm. place. I need food. I need attention. Mm-hmm. And food became our attention. So a lot of times that craving is nothing more or less than just our our psyche screaming out for the lack of what it thinks it's letting go of. I have to get rid of this food. I have to get rid of this affection. I have to get rid of this love. Mm, And that's the way we think of it. So we have to work through that challenge of of seeing food as food and disconnecting food from the memory that comes with it. But a lot of times that's all the craving is. Yeah. It's, I mean, you know, also, you know, with the trauma, it's also about not chasing the trauma. Right. So mm-hmm. because your subconscious is going to let it up when it's ready, not when you want it to. Mm-hmm. So if you're not, if you know there is something that happened and you can't find it in your body or don't have access to it, don't worry about it. Like, don't worry about it. Like, move on, be happy, eat the right foods. It's going to express itself when it's ready to. And then I think when it does, one of the things that we always talk about is just giving it a voice. Like you were just talking about shouting, right? So if you're feeling angry, step aside, go in a room by yourself scream, like really be present to the emotion, whether it's anger or whether it's sadness, really be present to it for one to three minutes. And then when you're done with that, stop, thank your body, give it a little beautiful affirmation. Thank you. I love you all as well. I'm safe, whatever you want to say, fill it with white light, go about your business. An hour later, half hour later, it might come back again. I always tell my body once an hour, that's all you get because you want to keep yourself from going into depression. You want to keep yourself from like just giving way to this, this huge emotion. But if you allow it to come up, um, it might come back three hours later than great. You get three to five minutes now again to express yourself. And I did that with a process, a grieving process, and it changed my life. It just, it was, it was, um, allowed me to release the emotion without it getting stuck in my mind and without me going to food to console myself because that was my drug of choice. It was always food. Let me eat something to push this emotion down, right? And so instead, if I allowed the emotion up and gave it a space, it went, one, it was a place to land. So I would scream in a pillow or just hiss. You know, Mm -hmm. if I was in a a work environment, it was like, you know, like loud hissing. Um, And if it was tears, I'd let the tears come. 
So it is, we have to honor those things. And when we honor them, eventually what will happen is you'll feel this bubbling up in your body and you will, what is this one this time? And it's joy and it's laughter mm. and you just start to laugh. And it's like, oh my God, I'm on the other side of it. And, and that's it. And it's done. And so it, you will eventually get there, but just it needs a space and, we, and you need to take the time for it. Yeah. I'm having yeah. Epiphany Central while you're talking <laughs> because you said don't stuff it down and yeah. it'll come. It just feels like we're, we're birthing our trauma out of us. So we're not yeah. sticking it back in. Just like labor, we don't choose when labor comes on or a contraction comes on, yeah. right? We contract, we need to go. We need to go into it yeah. and we need to like, you know, and then we have the space Yes, and the rhythm of our body will know how long the contraction needs to be. Then we go and we have our rest and then it goes like this and then we birth it out. Exactly. And, and if you're hey. witnessing this, right, and this is what, you know, when I teach people about this, I always tell them like, listen, your job in holding space is like a, with a pregnant woman. You can't do the contraction for her. Mm. All you can do is make her comfortable by witnessing her and saying, you're going to be okay. You're going to get through this. And, and don't say, oh, you know, you're not feeling that, you, you know, forget, think about something else. No, that's not right. the answer. Right. You're feeling sad. You're feeling horrible. It's like, I'm right here. I'm with you. You know, so if you're, you're doing this for your partner, your spouse, your job is not to stop it or your child. Don't stop it. Let them have it. I understand you're angry. You can be angry in that corner right there. Do go whatever you need to do. Just don't harm yourself. Right. So there's, there's ways that we can nurture one another and have this process so that you can have, you know, the mind, body, spirit connection. Yeah. Have it be whole. Oh, I love yeah. That. But the, thank, thank, yeah. You. thank you for whoever took us down that track. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. That um, was a question. It's not my zone of genius, but clearly that zone of genius is in this room. <laughs> uh, I, think we, I think we're all here together. <laughs> Let's see here. How to stop feeling so unnecessarily tired. Well, that's kind of what we've been talking about. The whole yeah. time. Here's yeah. here's a, a cool thing to add to what we've already talked about, though. People look to stuff for energy. Coffee, monster. Mm. What food can I eat? Some people actually still think that if we eat sugar, we're going to get energy, right? Mm. And, and so people go to look for what goes in the body to give us energy. We need to think of this differently. If we remember chemistry is three things. So many things get answered if we remember that. What goes in, what stays out, and how to get the right balance. We already know that for energy, all we need is oxygen and glucose. Your body's got plenty of both. You're breathing, we're good. So it isn't what can I put into my body to get energy. The question is, what did I put into my body that took it away? What did I put into the beaker that was the wrong thing that polluted the reaction and kept it from happening? And if we ask that, more often than not, we're going to be able to identify what it was. Mm pretty quickly, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. We'll be able to say, oh, wow, okay, that thing. We just need to ask the right question yeah, to get the right answer. That's the best place I can possibly turn people to start. Mm -hmm. What did I eat that took it away? Yeah, that's beautiful. If not cooking with oils, what about taking omega-3 for migraines? Okay or no oil? I would always, 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 always recommend getting the nutrients that we need from the food that we eat. There are plenty of foods where we can find omega-3s, omega-6s. We can keep them in balance. We can do the things that we need to do with food. Always I would recommend that. The problem when we take a pill for something, there's three things that go wrong with that. 
One is that food has a code. Every living thing contains RNA. And if we didn't learn anything going through COVID in the COVID vaccines, we learned that RNA talks to the cells of your body and tells them what to do. And the RNA of food does that too. When we take a nutrient, whatever it is, even the oils, that isn't a living product, the RNA is gone. Our body doesn't even know what to do with it. The second thing is it's put into a capsule, a gel cap, a liquid, an elixir, a powder. It's put into a carrier. And that carrier is wholly unregulated. They're not even required to put the ingredients of that carrier onto the ingredient label of the nutrient. That carrier. Wow, I didn't know that. Mm. And that carrier typically has more preservatives, conditioners, all the crap than even processed food does because how long do you want that thing to last on your shelf before it goes bad? Mm -hmm. So it's typically more egregious even than processed food is. So I totally, totally, totally recommend using foods and learning what foods have the nutrients that you need and going to the food, not the supplement. Mm. You're making me hungry. (laughs) For omegas. What is the craziest myth you've ever learned about food? Oh, come on. I put that one in. I know. (laughs) (laughs) We actually got to talk about that because when I learned where calories came from, it was just dumbfounding to me. Mm. When, Mm -hmm. When I learned, I'm like, you could not make this stuff up. Yeah. You just couldn't make this stuff up. But again, I encourage the skeptic. Anybody who listens to anything I say or anything that's said by anybody, nutrition advice, you guys all know it. It's all over the place. Mm -hmm. You have a doctor, a very prominent doctor out there right now saying that you should not eat vegetables because vegetables contain leptins and leptins are plants defense system and they're trying to kill you. Eat animals. They have teeth. Right. And you have another prominent doctor out there saying that you have to be a vegetarian, that you can't have. And it doesn't matter what a person's credentials are. People are all over the map. So be a skeptic and look into things. Go down rabbit holes. Can I say one thing about people looking at Google? Yes. Because this is so, so, so important. Every Google is so easy, right? Mm-hmm. Do a better search. Ask a better question. We've all heard if you ask a better question, you get a better answer, right? Mm-hmm. I did a, a clip on um, an organic milk product that contained tocopherols. And immediately I got like 800 responses that tocopherols are vitamin E, you idiot. Well, if you look up tocopherol, that's exactly what it's going to say. Hey, Google, what's tocopherol? Oh, it's vitamin E. But look up what is vitamin E. And you find out that vitamin E is made up of four tocopherols and four other enzymes that have nothing to do with tocopherols. And just a tocopherol by itself doesn't make vitamin E. Look up the Mm -hmm. wider question. Look it up from different angles. Look it up from different perspectives. Ask questions like, oh, this is vitamin C, but is it? What is vitamin C in the body? because you're going to find out that it's got an extra hydrogen atom and that hydrogen matters in chemistry. But when you go down the rabbit holes and you look things up, don't believe me, don't believe anybody, look things up when you hear it, but look it up in a fully rounded way so that you can really learn about that thing. Don't find the first answer that you agree with and run with it. Mm. Mm. And let me add, see how that answer feels in your body because our, 
intuitive knowledge is potent if we mm -hmm. get in touch with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's fascinating about Google and vitamin yeah. E. <laughs> <laughs> just, just one of hundreds of examples. Yeah. Wow. There's, there's a better question I encourage people to ask, and it's not what should I eat? It's not what food is good, what food is bad. The question that I encourage, and I know you know this one, is does this food serve me? Mm. Mm. And if we ask that question, 98% of the time, don't we know the answer? Always. Yeah. Yes, we do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. Wow. That's a, that's a beautiful ending point for us with the intuition and the ability mm -hmm. to really have your body speak yeah. to that connection. Yeah. Well, I've been fascinated. Thank you. Do you want to do an Ask Peggy? Just ask. What is an Ask Peggy? An Ask Peggy is you can ask her any question and she will check in and give you a response. A lot of times um, she works on the energetic levels and she can... Peggy, what, what can you what explain? Do do? You do it best. You do so I'm, many I'm things. heightened, intuitive expert. I feel things. I hear things. I'm like, all my channels are open. So when somebody asks a question, um, as the Maharashi University told me, my front prefrontal cortex, cortex isn't involved and it's coming from another part of my brain. And so that's like, wow, this is not the way a normal person thinks. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's channeling and it's just information. So I've gotten really good at kind of getting out of the way and just listening and mm -hmm. um, clear audience. So of all the clairs that are your intuitive psychic senses, clear audience, my strongest sense. So I hear things, but I also see things and feel things. So we just have some fun, and if a you know a guest wants to ask a question, they can, and if they don't, they can always just ask for a message or whatever. But um, or we can not play too. <laughs> yeah, what's well, no? I've, I'll totally play. The thing that comes to me is the thing that is nearest and dearest to my heart right now, which is our project of of getting diabetes information into the world so that people can do something about it. And I don't know that it's a question, but if there's any way I can get out of my way to make that happen mm. in a more efficient way, I should be open to guidance. Okay. Um, well, first of all, I got to say the back of my head when you were saying that I have so much pressure in the back of my head. So I, I always interpret that as how much pressure you're putting on yourself mm. to make this happen. And there's a, so there's a lot of pressure that you're exerting. And if you can let go of that pressure and just really allow some more um, information and support systems alignment, so they're showing me, hang on just a second, you're like overthinking it. Like immediately my brain just kind of squeezed. And so they're asking you to not overthink. And, and so like when a lot of times when we, have a project or something we want to do. And if we just create the intention of like, okay, universe, this is what I want to manifest. This is what needs to happen. I need your partnership in this, bring it forward for me. And then we kind of let go. You can start to have things pop in, people pop into your mind, or all of a sudden you'll see something go, oh God, that's it. So the external environment also answers our questions that we need internally. And so I'm just being told that there's a lot of people like within your sphere of influence that you can help partner with or collaborate with around this topic and then speak on that's going to just, you know, pilferate everybody. And so it'll happen quicker than you trying to push that, push that yourself. Cause I feel all that struggle and trying to manifest it. So they're like, no, 
leveling up and seeing who's already out there and partnering with those larger organizations and trying to get them to add this to what they're already doing or create a new inroad with what you're seeing and what you're saying. So go to people who are already out there, the big organizations or those big, you know, um, whether it's physicians or whether they're, they're already hospitals or just government organizations and saying, have you seen this data? Have you seen this information? Can we start to you know, assimilate it and put it together and get it out there to people? So they're just saying, go to the top people that are already out there and partner with them. And as I say that, I feel all this pressure on your low back going, oh shit, like I don't, almost like anti-establishment is like, I don't want to go that way. I can feel the pressure. I felt that for myself. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So, you know, so what you're doing is a very grassroots movement, which is really beautiful, but they're saying, don't discount that there, there, there are people in high places that have your back, that want to see this information out there as well. So don't, because of any experience you've had in the past, keep you or prohibit you from really saying, maybe they'll be open to it. Maybe maybe something has changed. So they're just saying, leave all avenues open. Don't just look in one direction because they're showing me there's like, it's going to surprise you some partners that will show up that you'll go, I never ever thought in a million years <laughs> I would partner with this, you know, this global person or this global organization. Yeah. So just really let the universe serve you because it wants this out there too. It's crazy how she not only is feeling me, but she's feeling what I'm feeling in the moment. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Did that all make sense to you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It does. It does. And when you felt the tightening in the back of me, it's like, oh, yeah. Mm Because there have been experiences that that have slapped me in the face in those efforts, right? Yeah. So getting past that and going forward is... Yeah, and waiting, and it's it's like it's like a timing thing too. It's like you know maybe you were ahead of the curve. I'm sure you were ahead of the curve, and just you know understanding that there'll be another hit in your mind that goes, oh wait, I should I should call them again. Maybe it's been a decade. Maybe it's been three months. I don't know. But it's like just trusting those imp- those you know impressions that we call psychic hits. Yeah, I'm excited. This is like it's big stuff. What you're doing, it's going to make a big difference. Excited too. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Thank you. And thank you for all that knowledge drop, you know, and uh, it's, as Kim said, it's a lot to, it's a lot to digest, but I'm bump. Hit, <laughs> hit rewind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you.